Thanks again for giving us the, just, Lord, the, the wonderful opportunity and blessing and honor to be in church, Lord, today and to gather together as a community, Lord, of believers and, Lord, to love one another and to, to pray for one another and to encourage one another, Lord, and to hear you speak to our hearts, Father. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to us, Lord, and, Father, that you would um, just change us and, and, and transform our lives, Lord. And, Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 21. We're now in chapter 21 in part 22 of our series, Wisdom That Works, a wisdom that works. And as always, before we even dive into the text, I always, do, I always want to do a quick review from last week's text, it was all of chapter 20, and I gave you six points, you might remember these points. I'm going to go briefly through these points here. And the first one was don't get drunk. Say that. And that's in verse 1 of chapter 20. And the point is it's not wise to get drunk because if you're intoxicated, you don't act wisely. That's Solomon's point. And you see, wisdom is displayed by the ability to not be led astray by alcohol. The second point was don't get the king angry. Say that. Don't get the king angry, and that's in verses 2 through 8 of chapter 20. In other words, don't poke the bear, or you can endanger your life. And then Solomon changes the subject and says, A wise person avoids an argument, but the fool is quick to quarrel. Then he says, A lazy farmer doesn't plow when he should, so at harvest time he has no crop. And then he says this, If deep waters refers to truth deep, deeply hidden in the heart, then the wise person, say the wise person, is seen as one who can draw such wisdom to the surface. I love that. And then Solomon speaks to the rarity of a person whose loyalty lives up to their talk. Then he says, if we live righteous lives, it will ultimately affect our children and they will be blessed. And then he goes back to the king. The wise king can distinguish between the wheat and chaff, between good and evil. The third point was don't have double standards. Say that. Don't have double standards. That's in verses 9 through 13 of chapter 20. And he says, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Well, the answer is what? No. No one, right? No one can say that. And then we see that God, and then we see that God feels so strongly about deceptive business practices that he used a strong word, detest, and the word abomination to describe them. And then Solomon says that conduct reveals character. I love that. And that God hears what we say and he sees what we do. And then he talks about the lazy, lazy person again. Laziness brings oneself to poverty, but the one who stays awake gets to work, right? The one who stays awake, the one who gets to work will have food to spare. The fourth point was don't be foolish. Say that. Don't be foolish. And that's in verses 14 through 18. And there Solomon focuses on the business practices that easily escalate uh, into folly, into foolishness. The fifth point was don't gossip or hold grudges. Say that. Don't gossip or hold grudges. That's in verses 19 through 21. And um, Solomon's saying, be very, very careful that you don't open up the treasures of your heart to people who really shouldn't have those treasures, right? And then he says, the one who depicts their disrespects, are, excuse me, disrespects their parents and insults them will come to an untimely end. And then he says, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. And then he says, it's not our place to get revenge, right? 
Let God set the score. Let him deal with it. The sixth point of last week's text was don't tolerate wickedness. Say that. And that's in verses 26 to 30. And uh, the wise king knows how to carefully examine the wicked and bring whatever punishment is appropriate. He deals with it appropriately, immediately. He doesn't tolerate wickedness. And then Solomon changes the subject and says, while physical strength decreases with age, wisdom should increase. Amen? And then he says, the searching eye of God knows our inmost, inmost thoughts. And then he says, those undergoing punishment would learn that crime carries a harsh penalty and they would resolve not to commit the crime again. This now brings us to today's text. Uh, The title of my message today is God's Sovereignty. Everyone say that. God's sovereignty. This speaks of God's position and God's person. When you say sovereignty, it speaks of God's position, right, and God's person. You know, I really hope, friends, I really hope we came here this morning ready to hear God speak to us. In fact, I wonder which proverb is going to speak to me, and I I wonder which proverb is going to speak to you. And I hope that our hearts are ready to receive what God wants to say to us this morning. That God, God, show us something that is for us from you. Amen? Three points. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this. God examines the heart. Say that. God examines the heart. Write that down. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 21 of Proverbs. Solomon writes, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course, a water course, wherever he pleases. So channels, channels are used to regulate the flow and direction of water. And so this is speaking about the way God directs the affairs of men. The way he directs the affairs of who's in power, whether it's a king, a prime minister, whether it's an emperor, or whether it's a president. And the point that Solomon is making is that no human ruler is ultimately supreme. The only supreme one is who? God. Because he's sovereign. Say he's sovereign. So here's a lesson. You ready? Here's a lesson. God is in control. Say that. God is in control. And I think that we as believers, we tend to think that only a godly Christian man or woman is someone that God can use. Now, I'm not suggesting that you vote for ungodly people, but even the most pagan ungodly people can be used by God to bring about his purposes. Right? And we see this throughout God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus of Persia, Caesar Augustus, who God used these men to bring about his purposes. The bottom line is this. I trust God to do what is right. Amen. He's the supreme one, and that's Solomon's point. Verse 2. All a man's ways seem right to him, but, say but, the Lord weighs the heart. He, he measures the heart. He examines the heart. I love the way the message renders it. We justify our actions by appearances. God examines our motives. The New Living Translation says it like this. People may think they are doing what is right, but the Lord examines the heart. I love that. Listen, it's not what we think about ourselves that counts. Because let's be honest. By nature, we justify ourselves, don't we? It's what God thinks that counts. And if the Bible says that our behavior is wrong, then it's wrong. And you know, people defend their way of living and and make excuses for their sinfulness, and they believe themselves to be better than they really are. I want you to write this down, chapter 30, verse 12. Write that down to Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 12. The King James renders it like this. 
There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it is not washed from its filthiness. And I want to tell you, friends, we're living in that generation, right? Listen, I am thankful, thankful for God's Word and His Holy Spirit because without conviction, I would never understand my sinful condition. Amen? So I thank God for His Word. I thank God for His Spirit. It allows me to see who I am and how I am and how I need to get it right. Amen? Verse 3, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And what comes to mind is King Saul. He was supposed to fight against the ungodly, wicked Amalekites and wipe them out, yet he, did, he didn't do all that, was, that he was commanded to do. And I want you to write this down because I want to read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 20 to 22, it says, But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel, the prophet Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey, we know this, right? Come on, to obey is better than what? Sacrifice. And to heed is better than fat of rams. If you're saved, say Amen. Listen, friends, how we live is much, much more important than what we give. Are you with me? What's more acceptable is how we live. In other words, it's our obedience to God. God loves our obedience. And I I, I tell you, I say this many times, God blesses obedience. God wants obedience more than sacrifice. Amen? Verses 4 and 7, 4 through 7, haughty eyes. And a proud heart, the lamp or the plowing of the wicked are sin. In other words, produce sin. So arrogance and, and pride are pictured as seeds being planted, planted, which indicates that the, the, the product, or we can say this, the fruit, uh, the fruit or the distinguishing marks of the wicked is what? Sin. It's sin. Verse 5, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You see, if we, if we plan, listen now, we plan and pray carefully and diligently carry out the plan, we're going to profit, Solomon says. We're going to prosper. There'll be a harvest of plenty. But if we, listen now, if we hastily jump into this or into that or doing this or doing that without any planning, without any prayer or thought, Finding shortcuts and cutting corners, the result will be failure instead of plenty. That's what he's saying. The outcome will not be good, friends. And you see, when we're so in a hurry making a decision, we'll regret the decision we made. And instead, friends, we should wait to see what God would have you and I do. Right? If you're safe, say amen. So question, that being said, question, what kind of plans are you making right now? In your life, what kind of plans are you making in your life and are you planning prayerfully and thinking things through carefully? Let me ask you this. Is God involved in your plans? Is he involved in your plans? And Solomon's point is if, 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 you're, if you're thinking carefully and diligent, diligently carrying out the plan, that if God's involved, you're going to prosper. You'll profit from that. Amen? 
Verse 6, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Ooh. Solomon's saying that wealth attained by lying, wealth attained by cheating is a short-lived attainment. And I want to tell you, friends, listen now, misrepresenting your product, lying to make a deal, those will not bring lasting wealth. And I want to say this, finance is gained deceitfully, it's stupid, it's foolish, and it's empty. It won't work. It's a deadly snare. It never, say never, brings total satisfaction. It's a path to destruction, and that's Solomon's point. Verse 7, if you're still with me, say amen. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. Now, now I've said this many times in this series. I know it seems like the wicked are getting over, doesn't it? It seems like they're winning. But this proverb makes it clear that the wicked cannot engage in violence without bringing destruction on themselves. Right? And the violence they do will boomerang, boomerang, and destroy them. And what they have done to others will return upon their own heads. And they will, listen now, reap the consequences, say, say consequences. They will suffer in the end. They will receive just punishment, just punishment. They will reap what they have sown. And I want you to notice that it isn't only what the wicked do, but also what they don't do. Look at the text. For they, what, refuse to do what is what? What is right. Verse 8, the way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent or the pure is upright. The New Living Translation renders it like this. The guilty walk a crooked path. The innocent travel a straight road. Listen, every single life, my life, your life, every single life is on a path. You're on a path right now. I'm on a path. And some people choose to walk on a twisted, crooked path. And they are guilty before the living God. But as for the pure, in other words, those who live with pure motives, those who are righteous, they walk on a straight path. So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. The path we walk will display who we are. The path that you and I walk will display who we are. And I want to tell you, friends, there is a clear distinction between the conduct reflecting purity, purity, which reflects a life saved by grace, versus a life fully engaged in the slavery of sin. But again, the path that you and I walk will display who we are. And we're walking on the path of righteousness that displays that we belong to God. Amen? Verses 9 through 11, better to live. Verse 9, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, now Solomon, what he does here, he stresses the misery caused by an argumentative, negative, nagging, annoying wife. Now, ancient, uh, ancient homes often had flat roofs accessible by stairs. And here we see an image, we see the image of a man who would rather be cold and be alone and uncomfortable than inside with the wife who nags and finds fault. Now, the text, the text is about a woman bringing grief to man, right? That's what the text says. But the principle applies to either spouse. It works both ways. A man can be quarrelsome, right, ladies? Right? And, and men, ladies can be quarrelsome, right? Right? So, you know, 
you got to work it out, <laughs> right? You got to work it out, amen? Make sure that uh, you're being led by the Lord to respond the way you should respond. Verse 10, the wicked, verse 10, the wicked man craves evil. Now, not only does it, but he craves it. His neighbor gets no mercy from him. In other words, the wicked have absolutely no regard for anyone. They love to harm others. And the point, look, I want to point out something in the text. Look at the text again. His neighbor gets no what? Mercy from him. The evil that marks the wicked is expressed in their inability, listen now, inability to get along with the neighbor. So I want to tell you, if you're safe, say amen. Okay, so watch out for those who can't get along with other people. Got it? Verse 11, when a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. When a wise man is instructed, he gets knowledge. So this is similar to chapter 19, verse 25. Go, go home or go back and read it later on. Uh, chapter 19, verse 25. Some people learn by watching others being punished, right? Some learn that way, while others learn through just instruction. They don't need to have lessons constantly given, but they, they learn very quickly. That's Solomon's point. Verse 12, the righteous one. Who's the righteous one? God. Say God. God. The righteous one, which is God, takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to what? Say it. Ruin. God sees, and I love this, God sees what the wicked are doing behind closed doors. He sees what's in their heart. He measures, he knows what's in their heart. And he sees their evil actions. He sees their evil thoughts, friends. And as a righteous judge, as a righteous God, he will ultimately judge them. Leave it in God's hands. Amen? 2 Peter 2.9 says this, and I love what Peter writes here. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Someone say amen to that. Verse 13, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be what? Answered. Remember, God cares about the poor, right? God has a heart for the poor, and he commands you and I, those of us who are saved, right, us to have a compassionate heart towards them as well. So if we ignore the needs and the cries of the poor, Solomon's saying our needs and our cries will be ignored. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? We get in life what we give. Very simple lesson. We, listen now, get in life what you and I give. In other words, we reap what we sow. And if we help others, we will find help as well. Amen? And that's Solomon's point. Verses 14 through 17. Verse 14, a gift given in secret soothes anger. So this could be referring to a peace offering. Say peace offering. And by the way, men, the best way out of the doghouse is through the flower shop. Got it? Some of you didn't even get that, okay? The best way out of the doghouse is through the flower shop. <laughs> All right? So he says, a gift given in secret soothes anger, speaking of a peace offering, and a bribe concealed in the cloak pacifies great wealth. In other words, Solomon's saying the one who gives bribes gains influence or buys favor or can also cause someone to look the other way by being bought off. Get that? Verse 15, when justice is done, say justice, it brings joy to the righteous. In other words, it's a joy to make sure that things are right. 
right? It's a joy. A joy, it's a joy when things are right. A joy when justice triumphs. When justice triumphs, we should be joyful about that and rejoice about that, amen? He says this, but terror to evildoers. In other words, it's their downfall. We rejoice in justice, but it's their downfall. The evildoers, it's their downfall. They're, they're brought to despair. Verse 16, a man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. That's a very, very sobering verse. I'm going to read that again. A man who strays or a woman who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. This contrasts the ways of life and death. And Solomon's simply saying to forsake wisdom is to forsake life itself and to end up with the dead. The bottom line is this, and I want you to get this. It is possible to cut your life short. Do you get that? It is possible to cut, cut your life short, to destroy yourself before your time. Verse 17. Verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil. Now I want to stop it because the word love, say loves. Come on, say loves. The word loves means excessive or uncontrolled. Excessive or uncontrolled. What it means is this, a greedy, greedy lifestyle. Got it? And here wine or olive oil represent the luxuries of life. So he who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves, loves, excessive, uncontrolled, loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. So this is an admonition against self-indulgence. That's his point. And many individuals live for what? Pleasure. We see it all day today, don't we? People are just living for pleasure. And Solomon's point is this, friends. If the luxuries of life are loved beyond proper measure, it's a pathway to poverty. In other words, in other words, you might be rich financially, but poor spiritually and eternally. Got it? Verse 18. The wicked become a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. God, listen now, you got to get this. God will cause to fall on their own heads that which they intended against the righteous. Now, I want you to write this down. Chapter 11, verse 8 of Proverbs. Chapter 11, verse 8. You can turn it right now or you can just, let me read it to you. You might remember what, what, what Solomon said back in chapter 11, verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. Wow. What comes to mind? Haman. In the book of Esther, Haman, right? Haman. And Haman who, who plotted the destruction uh, of the Jews and to have Mordecai hanged. But Haman, say Haman, was hanged on the gallows he had built for Mordecai. What he intended to do to Mordecai, it happened to Haman. And that's Solomon's point. So leave it in the, whatever, whoever's against you, leave it in the hands of God. Amen? Verse 19, better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered, nagging wife. Oh, here we go again. Wow. So the man goes from a rooftop, right, <laughs> to now in the desert all by himself. Okay? In the harsh conditions of a desert... <laughs> are preferable to the harsher conditions in such a home. And that's Solomon's point. And again, the principle applies to either spouse, right? It is tough 
to live with anyone who is contentious and angry. It is, right? This is why we need to make sure that we're covered and filled with the Word of God, right? That we don't become contentious and angry. That we don't fight fire with fire. But we respond with grace and love. Amen? Say, God examines the heart. Number two is the way of the wise. Say that, the way of the wise. Write that down, the way of the wise. We'll look at verses 20 to 21. Verse 20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. And Solomon's saying is the wise person is conservative with what they have gathered. What they do, they prepare for the future, uh, planning on how to live comfortably. In other words, he's talking about a wise steward of what God has given them. Don't you want to be a wise steward? Huh? So he says that about the wise person, while the foolish person, he says, squanders whatever comes into their hands. They use up whatever resource there is and left with nothing. And what comes to mind, we talked about this last week, is who? The prodigal son. How he got all this wealth, but he squandered it. And that's Solomon's point. Don't be foolish, amen. Be wise. Be wise. Verse 21. He who pursues righteousness and love, that could also be rendered kindness, mercy, and loyalty. Okay, now I want to stop because Solomon's not saying to just appreciate those virtues, but what? To pursue them, right? To go after them. So he who pursues righteousness and love, in other words, kindness, mercy, and loyalty, finds life, right? Prosperity and honor. Did you get that? And I want to tell you, friends, listen now, a life marked by those virtues tends to result in a, in, in a longer life, spiritual growth, and a good reputation. Got it? Question, do you want that? Do you want that? Not a rhetorical question. Do you want that? Yes, right? Then pursue it. Go after it. Seek righteousness, love, kindness, mercy, and loyalty. I, I want to have a life, friends, right? A longer life, a, a, a life that's spiritually healthy, that I grow. And also, I want to have a good reputation. And Solomon says, seek those things. Seek love, kindness, mercy, and loyalty. Verse 22, a wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. And I love this. Solomon poetically depicts wisdom enabling a man to climb the walls of a fortified town or city and bring down its defenses. Isn't that awesome? And the point is this. You know what the point is this? It's the point. Wisdom provides, wisdom provides strength and security which can overcome any physical advantage. You see, this celebrates, they celebrates the victorious power of wisdom. Right? Wisdom. It's mightier than any kind of power. Force is no match for wisdom. And we've been in this book for a long time now. It talks about wisdom. Not just knowledge, wisdom. Wisdom is putting that knowledge into practice. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, write that down. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul Preach the wisdom of God revealed in Christ, crucified to conquer, say conquer, the will of the mighty men of Athens. Got it? It was wisdom. Verse 23, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. 
You know what, Solomon, we know this, right? Solomon lived in a time without internet, without social media, without iPhones, and yet he still recognized the danger of uncontrolled speech, right? And this is practical advice about not talking too much. If you keep your mouth shut, it will save you a lot of trouble, right? Can I get, can I get an amen for that? And I'm reminded of a story I shared years, years ago. It's such a great story of a, of a, a produce clerk in the grocery store. And he's, he's sitting there working in the produce area, and this elderly lady comes and says, excuse me, sir, uh, do, you have, are, do you guys sell half a head of lettuce? Excuse me? Do you sell half a head of lettuce? He says, oh, no, let me, let me check with my manager. So he walks towards the back there, and he starts he says, hey, man, can you believe this? This crazy old lady, he's laughing. <laughs> this crazy old lady wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. Not only she was right behind him. And he turns around and sees, oh, this lovely lady would like to buy the other half. <laughs> Guys, you know, just got to watch what you say sometimes, right? You guys with me? Learn to be quiet and resist the temptation to speak back and to have the last word. Keep your mouth shut. And sometimes it's wiser to just leave it alone. Yeah? Chapter 10, verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 19 of Proverbs says, In the middle of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouth shut. We just need to keep our mouth shut. Verses 24 to 29 says, The proud and arrogant man, mocker is his name. He behaves with overwhelming pride. You know that a mocker and a scoffer is one of the worst, most obnoxious types of fools in the Proverbs? Pride and arrogance are their characteristic marks. And friends, they're, they're, they're conceited, they're overconfident, thinking they're better than everyone else, even better than God. The proud and arrogant man, mocker is his name, he behaves with overwhelming pride, the prideful. Verse 25, the sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Here's, a, here's another ironic statement about the lazy person, the, the sluggard, the sloth person. And this person is so lazy. This is what Solomon's saying. This person is so lazy that he or she kills him or herself by starvation <laughs> because they're too lazy to support themselves. They'd rather go hungry than work. How sad is that? Verse 26. All day long he craves for more, but, say but, the righteous, say righteous, give without sparing. Continuing from the last verse about the lazy person, the lazy person is caught up in dreaming of the things they crave. Always about getting, always about getting, always about getting, always looking for an easy way out. But the righteous, say the righteous, the righteous person is caught up in giving to others. I love that. The wicked covets, but the righteous is open-handed, open-handed in giving, and they think of giving rather than getting. So this begs the question, how can you tell if you're lazy, if you're a lazy person or not? Well, are you craving or are you giving? And I want to tell you, friends, Solomon is very clear that we as believers need to be open-handed. Givers, not getters. Amen? Verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable. That's another word for uh, um, abomination. How much more so when brought with e- how much how much more so when brought with evil intent? And Solomon's saying this. This is someone 
still bent on wicked, being wicked, someone still bent on being wicked, yet pretending to worship God. They're wicked, and they know they're wicked, and they're pretending to come to God and worship God. That's detestable. That's an abomination. Listen, don't do something wicked, friends, with a thought in your head that you'll make up for it by giving God a gift. God, say, God will not accept the sacrifice of the wicked because he's a righteous God. And Solomon's point is this. The religious ceremonies of the wicked are bad enough. I mean, they're bad enough. They're even worse when, they make, when they're made with wicked intent. It's a detestable thing, an abomination, when a person feels no remorse for sin whatsoever and thinks they can buy God's forgiveness. Can't. Verse 28. A false witness will perish, and whoever listens to him will be destroyed forever. The, it's also rendered this way. I, I like this better translation. But the words of an obedient man or woman, true witness, true, or a true witness will live on. So what Solomon's saying is liars will be judged, but the person who listens carefully and repeats accurately and speaks truthfully will continue on into the future. Verse 29, a wicked man puts up a bold front. This is the person, you guys know anyone like this who has no shame? Huh? Has no shame. They don't, they don't, turn, away, uh, they don't turn away from their gaze. They just stare at you, dogging you. Huh? You know someone like that? Huh? Stares you down. Stares you down, huh? They know no shame. Uh, they're never, never embarrassed. You know someone like that? Don't look at them this morning, but you know someone like that? Huh? Their bold front, their bold face reveals their heart and heart. That's what it does. It reveals their heart and heart. But, say but, an upright man, woman, gives thought to their ways. The upright person, listen now, in other words, he's saying, is considerate of others. They're more self-reflective. I love that. Self-reflective and carefully considers what they do. They're sure of their steps. I love that. That's the way of the wise. You guys with me? Say, God examines the heart. Say, the way of the wise. And the third point is victory belongs to God. Now, now, now say that like you have victory in him. Say, victory belongs to God. Amen. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. There is no wisdom. God, you got to love this. No insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Isn't that awesome? There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. You know what this tells us? This tells us, friends, that the limits of human understanding must be acknowledged in the light of God's wisdom and sovereignty. It declares the absolute supremacy and sovereignty of God. He's supreme and he's sovereign. In other words, no human ingenuity can overcome him because he's God. You guys ready for the lesson? Okay. To fight against God is to fight a losing battle. To fight against God is to fight a losing battle. If you believe that, say amen. Listen, if you want your plans to succeed, friends, don't be found fighting against God. Because you can't out outmaneuver God. Can't. Can't do that. You can't beat him. You, you can't argue with him. Well, you can try to argue with him, but you're not going to win. Oh, you know, I don't, I, don't like what you, I don't like what God says about this. You know what? I don't agree with God. Well, too bad. He's God. 
God wins. Say, God wins. And ultimately, all his purposes will be accomplished. God is good. God is holy. God is right. God is on the throne. Case closed. And I want you to get this. If you don't get anything, get this, friends, okay? Never fight against God and never fight without him. Never fight against God and never fight without him. Say that. Never fight against God and never fight without him. Can I get a big amen? Verse 31. This is a natural follow-up of the previous verse. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. In other words, prepare. Go ahead. You need to prepare. It's good to prepare. Get ready for the battle. But <laughs> what? The victory rests with who? The Lord. And Solomon's saying a nation may mount an impressive arsenal of weapons, but victory doesn't depend exclusively upon weapons. Victory rests with God. So he's saying it rests with God. Go ahead, make your plans. Get ready for battle. But victory rests with God. You see, God's will is infinitely more powerful and is ultimately all that matters. That's his point. I want you to write this down, Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalms chapter 20, verse 7. David writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Who do you trust in? Yourself, your weapons, or God? You guys ready for the lesson? God gets the glory. Say that. God gets the glory. If you're safe, say amen. I'm going to close with this. When you're delivered, when you're more than a conqueror, when you're victorious, don't forget God gets the glory because the glory rests with him. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word.